program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. Okay, let's start this episode off with a bang. Let's talk about Wednesday. The series, not the day. Furthermore, let's talk about Gomez in particular. Luis Guzman's Gomez. Yeah. And let's address the fact that the internet has officially become the home of all whining, bibbling toddlers who hope that by posting their immature comments online, whether it be racist, sexist, political, or otherwise obnoxiously infantile gibberish, it'll give them some satisfaction of anonymously being a tough guy behind a keyboard or phone that is smarter than they? I'm, I don't know. Fictional characters. This is what people were in an uproar about. Uh, who was it? Vanity? Is that the magazine? That posted the first picture of the Adams family. The, like the family. We got Pugsley, Wednesday, Morticia, and Gomez. And people freaked out about Luis Guzman's Gomez. Oh, he's ugly. Oh, he's not Johnny Depp. Fictional characters based on a comic strip that originated something like, what, 84 years ago? A character that's been played by several different actors and in many different forms. But this was the hill that some felt they needed to die on. Because, oh, he's not Raul Julia. I do not understand what it is with people's obsession with just the 90s Adams Family. It was two movies, guys. Two movies. Yes, they're awesome. I love them. I own them on all three formats. They're great flicks. I get it. But it's not the only version of Gomez to ever exist. And not to mention, do you honestly think you're going to replace, like, Raul Julia? You, you can't bring him back from the dead, so you're not going to bring him back. And you're not going to find someone who's going to be able to do that version ever again. So why not do something different? Tim Burton said he was going with the original comic strip look. I think Guzman... 
pretty much nails it. And then here's the thing. This was the real kicker of it all. was the exact next day, the trailers released. And suddenly, those same people who cried about, This is not my Gomez. Who cares? Anyways, they came to their senses and realized that this series may not be that bad. Oh. So, you thought... Because you saw a picture online of what he looked like, that that was the, you know, the epitome of the worst ever Gomez. But then you saw the trailer the next day and you're like, oh, wait, this might actually be pretty good. Yeah, the best was I read a comment online from the picture. This was the day before the trailer was released. There was a picture online and someone wrote, I don't see any chemistry with these characters. This will never work. How can you get chemistry out of a picture? Now, seeing the trailer and saying, I don't see the chemistry, okay, maybe I maybe I would be okay with that because at least you're seeing some form of, you know, motion picture here. <laughs> but I don't know. This is the internet, guys, and it's sad. It really is. It's, and the, the worst part was, was, you know, at first I thought, okay, I get it. Maybe a lot of people are not familiar with the New Yorker comic strip that, you know, Charles Adams created back in 1938. So I was posting the picture on, you know, certain posts and whatnot. I even did it on my own, you know, personal What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero page. You know, just to let people know, this is what Tim Burton's doing. This is why, you know, Gomez doesn't look like Raul Julia. And people still didn't get it. I actually had one guy lecture me up one side and down the other about how comics transferred into motion picture media never turns out okay, so this is not all right. And, I mean, it was a huge paragraph, too. Uh, One of those too-long-didn't-read-the-whole-thing fucking things. (laughs) But anyways, I don't know. And here's my thing. You know, Luis Guzman is a veteran actor. He's a great guy. I'm sure he didn't go into, you know... Filming this series going, gee, how bad can I do this role? Can I ruin Gomez for everybody? I'm pretty sure that's not what his approach was, so people need to stop. I don't wishful thinking, but they need to stop. What they don't need to stop, though, is coming back to this podcast, because from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, I welcome you back to the episode where I promise I'm not going to rant that much. Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul, and this is episode 127. I actually meant to do this one last week, but I was kind of finishing up the Sandman series and I thought you know what hold off a week finish this series so I can talk about it on this episode but uh, featured presentation for this week the featured review is not the Sandman I will talk about the Sandman in a minute but I actually talked about this movie briefly on the last episode and then when the, I, after I released the episode and everything I was thinking to myself you know you know what Paul like This movie deserves the full episode treatment, the full review treatment. So this week, we're going back to that Hulu film. Um, 
The one that's on Disney Plus in, well, pretty much internationally except for the United States. Yeah, we're going back to Prey. That will be this week's featured movie review. But now the Sandman. I do want to talk about the Sandman very briefly. Uh, going to keep the spoilers to a minimum because I know that not everyone has watched this yet. It's only been out since August 5th. Um, is it what, 17 days? I know. Mo- <laughs> I say most people haven't seen the, or, you know, people haven't seen this yet. They should have by now, but, you know, not every. Not everyone is that person that, oh my god, it dropped today, I must watch it within the first 30 seconds of it being online. And if it's not there, I'm going to go straight to the website and rant and rave about, you failed me. Last drive-in fans, we know what we're talking about here. Poor Shudder. I swear to god, if they are off by five minutes or five days, it does not matter. Fans will tear them apart if it's not on there at 3 a.m. Eastern Time. It's like, oh my god, calm down. Anyways, The Sandman. So I did finish the first season of it. It ends really strong. I definitely have to highlight that. The first six episodes of the series, one through six, are absolutely amazing. They're almost perfect. Uh, The fourth and the sixth episodes are perfect practically perfect They're, they are so well done but then there's the last four episodes seven through ten and it's not that they're bad they're not bad but they're not as strong as the the first six episodes episode seven and eight is where it kind of drops off a little bit i felt um they're necessary for the story you do need the episodes but they kind of I think it's because there's such a tonal shift from the first six episodes to the last four that the first, like the first two, basically episodes seven and eight, seem like they're just out of place. But they're not. Once you get to you know nine and ten, you realize, okay, I get it. I understand why this all, the whole story does come together. But it's it's such a a different shift like those first six episodes are just tied so tightly together and then all of a sudden episode seven comes and you're going wait what's going on here but it's not bad um and then of course episodes nine and ten they do return that story back to the top quality of the first six episodes so Honestly, it ends on a very high and promising note. I am looking forward to season two so I know it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I'm pretty sure there will be a second season to this. I have to give bonus points to two actresses in this. One being Gwendolyn Christie for her awesome performance as Lucifer Morningstar. Like, nails it. It was really fucking good. And Kirby Howell Baptiste as Death. I know, on the internet, when they first showed her picture, oh my god, everyone was up in arms. You turned a white character into a black character. Why did you... Did you watch her performance? She's awesome. I love her performance as Death. I was like, I don't I don't care. Like, everybody with, the, you know, jumping to conclusions over a picture online, let the performance play out and then make your criticisms. Uh, because Lucifer and Death were easily my two favorite characters. On top of Joanna Constantine. Uh, <laughs> it was weird. I was 
I've gotten so used to everyone pronouncing it Constantine that when this show came along and they were pronouncing it Constantine, I'm like, no. <laughs> that being said, Jenna Coleman does a great job as the character. And then there's Tom Sturridge, who's playing Robert Smith of The Cure. No, hold on, scratch that. No, he's not. He's playing Lord Morpheus. He's playing our Sandman. But man, is he channeling some Robert Smith of The Cure. I'll give him that. <laughs> And it's pretty awesome to watch. And then there's a small role, if you catch it. Mark Hamill is also in this series. Uh, I think he only has two small little cameos. They're fun. Um, Overall, I really enjoyed the series. I'm looking forward to season two, as I said. Um, One last thing. So I'm going to mention this because maybe it's because I pay attention to a lot of music. For the train deer. We'll put that out there. Um... If the music sounds reminiscent of another DC property, and the DC property I'm talking about is the Batman Arkham Knight game, uh, the reason why David Buckley does the score for this series, he also teamed up with Nick Arundel to do the score for Batman Arkham Knight. And you can definitely hear hints of Arkham Knight in the Sandman. Not not directly. I mean, it, it, he didn't like take from Arkham Knight and put into this. But there's different tones and different melodies that I was when I was listening to it I'm like I've heard this before or I've heard something similar to it and it was because he did Arkham Knight back in 2015 and then returned to DC to do this so I was like all right that works um so yeah uh, Sandman definitely recommended if you haven't checked it out yet there's another thing that came on Netflix actually um, it had a premiere a couple days after I know that, or it was about a week after the Sandman came out. And I remember seeing the trailer and being like, all right, I have to give this thing a chance. I'm glad I did. Uh, I'm talking about Day Shift. It's a buddy cop movie, kind of, kind of. It's sort of like take buddy cop movie formula, add a bit of Underworld, a little bit of From Dusk Till Dawn, you know, Fright Night, blended with, like, Kill Bill-like choreography, which, I should say, in turn was inspired by Lady Snowblood, so let's add that one to the mix as well. And then you have the the music. So let's throw in some Dr. Dre, some Tupac, Ice Cube, and Body Count to the dish. Let Snoop be Snoop, because Snoop Dogg is in here. Jamie Foxx be a badass, and you've got Dave Franco adding to the laughs. And then Natasha Leo Bordizo, I think I'm saying her last name right, kicking all sorts of ass. Okay, this movie is a shut-your-brain-off kind of flick. And it reeks of classic 90s action horror flick. It's awesome. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, okay? Uh, and there's actually some laugh-out-loud moments. Like, I'm talking about, like... You know how sometimes you'll watch a movie and you go, Oh, well, that was funny, but you didn't actually laugh. You just... You caught funny jokes and whatnot. This one, there were times where I caught myself actually chuckling out loud. And it was like, this was pretty good. I mean... Okay. So you watch this... And then I have this thing, I must be a masochist or something, because I have to read fan reviews. Let's see what other people think. 
Not that I care. I'm just curious what's out there. And of course, I'm going to say the same thing for this that I've been saying lately a lot. Ignore the fan reviews. They're worthless. They're j- People take things too fucking seriously. Need to stop. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a pool boy, basically, because that's what Jamie Foxx's character is. He's like a pool guy who kills vampires to make money so that he can keep his wife and daughter from moving away from him because he doesn't want them to move away and he has to afford rent and stuff. Like, I mean, it's a simple plot. It's a guy who needs money. He kills vampires or he takes their teeth and tries to pawn them off. It's, it's kind of interesting in its own little way. I saw people saying, Oh, it's not very original. It's this, it's that. What are you expecting? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Um, Cause the movie was fun. It, it, no, it's not, you know, reinventing the wheel. It doesn't need to. Why does every movie have to be some like, Oh my God, I've never seen this before. Some movies we've seen many times and just different faces and different twists and whatnot. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing extremely new here, but it's still fun. Just have fun with it. Anyways, yes, Day Shift. Check it out. It's actually worth it. Snoop Dogg, come on. (laughs) Like The dude, he just oozes charisma every time he's on the screen. It doesn't matter what he's doing. And finally, I'm going to talk about one more thing that I actually just watched last night. A movie called Glorious. It's a Shudder exclusive. So, I how to approach this one? It was kind of like taking like the movie Deep Dark. If you guys remember way back, I reviewed the movie Deep Dark. Okay, 2015 flick, whatever, indie flick. Not well known, but if you've seen it, take a bit of that. Mix some Lovecraftian, you know... cosmic horror to the mix there's some dark comedy and some wonderful voice acting coming from jk simmons uh basically it's a story of two characters a heartbroken man in a bathroom stall and a godlike entity that's the character voiced by jk simmons let me put it to you this way so i i talked just recently about day shift and i said you know not everything has to be completely 100 100 original This one, it was nice to see something that's not like everything else these days. Now, it still does have a bit of, you know, you can see where it pulled some influence from and whatnot, but it's more or less a little bit more original. Uh, Directed by Rebecca McKendry, who's also directed All the Creatures Were Stirring, and she's been on Eli Roth's History of Horror, Shudder's Behind the Monster series, so... If you're familiar with Shudder and AMC and whatnot, you've seen her before. Um, She does a good job with this one, especially considering that it takes place in one location and has two actors for the most part. Um, J.K. Simmons, he steals the show. And you never see him. (laughs) Like, it's just his voice, but he fucking nails it. Uh, his, His voice performance is very fun. He has some cute little quips while also coming off as almost very serious. It works. The movie utilizes a similar color palette to Color Out of Space, like the purples and the pinks and the that sort of stuff. It really pops on the screen. And Color Out of Space, I mean, great 
Lovecraft flick, you know, directed by Richard Stanley, starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen that, I recommend it. Anyways, as for this movie, good use of humor. Um, there's some nice blood spattering while not overdoing it with the gore. Well, up until the end of the film anyway. Uh, but they, it, that's the other thing with this movie. It's a nice build-up. It doesn't... Uh, it's 79 minutes long, too. It's not a long flick. And here's a bit of trivia for you. It, for me, anyways, this was serious bonus points for the movie because Clint Carney's name is linked to this. He came up with the monster concepts. Now, if you know who Clint Carney is, he's also the brain wizard behind the band System Sin, which they're like an industrial goth kind of band and whatnot. Anyways, anytime I ever see Clint's name involved in anything, whether it be a music video, album, movie, whatever, I'm instantly intrigued. His name, he's the one who came up with the monster concepts, and I was like, uh, two extra bonus points for this movie. Uh, it's a fun movie. Very dialogue-driven, though. It's a, it's a talky movie. It almost reminds me of like a Tarantino flick, in a way. Um, so the thing is, is that if you're, if you're into those films where you want more horror elements, more action and less spoken pieces, well, maybe this movie's not for you, but for me, the movie worked and I was quite entertained and giving it a number value, let's say six out of 10. It was, it was, it was decent. Um, not obviously not the best thing I've ever seen, but it was still fun. And now it's time. To move on to our feature presentation. And yes, I know I talked briefly about this one last episode, but Prey deserves that full breakdown. So we're going to do the trailer timeout, which is just like a little teaser kind of thing. And then when we return, we'll time travel back to the 1700s. And one of our first encounters with a predator the 2002 straight to streaming release that has everyone buzzing. Pray. Back in a moment, kids. There's something out there. I've never seen anything like it. I'm not frightened by a bear. It's not a bear. Watch the full trailer online now. All right, so I have a confession to make before we go on with this review. So you know how on social media they'll they'll tell you about your memories, right? And it would be like, oh, ten years ago you posted about ducks, and you shared this post, and you know three years ago you took this picture with that that person, and blah 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 blah. Anyways, you get the point, right? So on my memories. Lately, a lot have uh, a lot of the memories have been. You recorded this episode on this day. You released this episode on that day, and there's been a couple of them that have come up that I'm like, oh wow, I I totally forgot I recorded that. Like for example, my top five favorite Stephen King movies, which it was interesting because I'm I, I was thinking to myself, I'm like. Sometimes that that list varies like it, it all depends on my mood and what I watched that week and stuff like that. So I was like, I wonder what the five movies were. So I went back and 
revisited that episode, which is sometimes it's hard to listen to your own voice because it's like, oh my god, I sound hideous. And I know it's it's a personal thing and whatnot. But anyways, enough of that. As I was listening to the episode, I realized something that was somewhat embarrassing was just how angry I was back then. <laughs> I'm surprised some people have stuck with this show throughout the whole thing because I was like a very vulgar and angry man back then. And it's funny because this is what almost four years later. And now I just sort of have like this eh, kind of attitude about things. So it's kind of cool, though, when you go back and you listen to things you might have said or did 10 years ago, four years ago, five years ago, whatever, and how you've changed. I think that's sort of why this whole like cancel culture thing pisses me off sometimes, because even myself as a podcaster, when I first started this show, I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was... I was going through a, a period in my life where I was angry and stuff like that. You guys all remember the episode I did where I basically talked about, you know, the passing of my dog. Like, things were a different time, and also my approach to film was differently. Like, it, 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 I view things differently. Um, you know, like remakes and reboots and stuff like that. Four or five years ago, I was that same guy who was like, oh, stop remaking everything. But then as time has gone on... it. it I just kind of realized that, okay, Hollywood's not going to stop remaking things. So it's a matter of, do I want to watch it or not? You know, and I have that option of saying, nope, I will just pass on that. And then there's other things where I might be like, hmm, I'm kind of intrigued. Like Firestarter. Firestarter was a remake, but it did grab me. I was like, all right, maybe it's time. Let's give it a, give it a shot. And I didn't mind it. Not Obviously, it's not the original, but then again, who's asking it to be the original, right? It should be different. Anyways, I just wanted to kind of put that out there that if you were listening to the show four years ago, I'm sorry. I kind of apologize for how angry I was and all the swearing I did. I mean, granted, I am sort of a foul mouth jerk from time to time, but I was listening to myself talk about Christopher Walken in that episode, and it's like, this is embarrassing even for me. Like, I can't... It's like how I always say that Suspiria episode embarrasses me. Well, some of the other things I did back then kind of embarrassed me too. So, anyways, thanks for sticking around if you have. That's awesome because I wasn't the greatest podcaster four years ago. And I'm probably not now either. Anyways, movie review. Let's move on to Prey. So, Prey was released August 5th worldwide and the whole world got it on August 5th through Hulu, Hulu in the United States and everywhere else got it on Disney Plus uh, it's a part of Disney Plus called Star um, I think in other regions it's called something else but I, I'm not 100% sure on that I know here in Canada we have what's called Disney Plus Star and it's one of the different tabs where we get a lot of the 20th Century Fox stuff gets put there. The adult programming, like, you know, Sons of Anarchy, um, the Predator movies, Alien movies, uh, some of the stuff that is rated R gets put on there and whatnot. Anyways, because we don't have Hulu in Canada, we got it on Disney+. Um, Prey was 
directed by Dan Trachtenberg. And that is a name that a lot of horror fans like because he's the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, which a lot of people like to argue whether or not that is the best of the Cloverfield movies. I'm not going to lie. It's up there. I've always liked Cloverfield and I've liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. Cloverfield Paradox, it wasn't that it was bad, but it just wasn't up to that level with the first two. Um... 10 Cloverfield Lane gives us one of the creepiest John Goodman's ever (laughs) and the movie rules for that Uh, Dan also worked on one episode of Black Mirror in 2016 and you know that show The Boys yeah he directed the premiere episode of the series he the very first episode he directed that so it's pretty cool Um, he's a filmmaker and a podcaster probably a way better podcaster than me but anyways Screenplay was written by Patrick Eisen with Dan Trachtenberg helping as well, based on characters by Jim and John Thomas. Uh, Patrick is best known for his producing of shows like Wayward Pines, uh, Kingdom, and Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Uh, but he, uh, he worked with Dan on this in terms of writing the story and the screenplay. Prey was produced by Jane Myers, Marty Ewing, and John Davis, as well as Lawrence Gordon. Uh, he was executive producer. And Lawrence, his name, uh, he's been attached to a lot of great titles like Jumpin' Jack Flash, Die Hard and Die Hard 2, Hellboy and Hellboy 2, and he was also uh, executive producer on the remake uh, with of Hellboy with uh, David Harbour. He's done both of the Laura Croft films, Tomb Raider and The Cradle of Life, um, Event Horizon. Yeah, that's such a great movie. I just revisited that not too long ago and still holds up. Uh, he was attached to the Watchmen series and, of course, Predator and Predator 2. And uh, Jane, so let, let's get back to the other... Uh, producer here, Jane Myers. Jane Myers is important to this movie. Um, she's uh, actually a Comanche and Blackbeat American Indian. She is known for her dedication, and she focuses on a lot of like detail to producing like um, art and film and stuff like that. Uh, w- focusing on like the native language, the native cultural like like she does a lot of the advising for that. Um, native acting and whatnot she's very um fluent in the native art field and whatnot so she's very important to this film uh cinematography was done by jeff cutter who also worked on 10 cloverfield lane he also was attached to cough cough (laughs) a nightmare on elm street the remake and orphan which just had its prequel uh recently released i have not gotten gotten to it yet so no talk about that just yet i do plan on knocking it off within the week anyways it does look good and i love the original um and he worked on that he also worked on a lot of music videos early in his career um artists like ricky martin mick jagger kelly Rowland, uh, red hot chili peppers Alanis Morissette and back to name a few so he, he's 
He's pretty well known in the Hollywood ranks. And the music is by, I'm hoping I pronounce her last name right, uh, Sarah Schachner, who, um, she's also composed music for video games like Call of Duty Infinite Warfare and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And she was attached to three of the Assassin's Creed games, uh, Unity, Origins, and Valhalla. And she also composed the score for the 2015 movie, The Lazarus Effect. Um, and so if, for those of you interested, the soundtrack for Prey is available on most streaming services like Spotify, Amazon Music, and whatnot. You can also find it on YouTube. Um, and it was released by, if I remember correctly, Hollywood Records. So that's that. On to our starring cast. Um, this is a, a very solid cast. Considering that I think, what, uh, two two or three of the actors, this is their first film. So it's pretty, it, it really cool the fact that, it, actually, it, yeah, there's three. Uh, one has four legs. <laughs> um, but we'll get into that in a moment. Let's start off with our protagonist, our female lead, Amber Midthunder, ad, as, sorry, as Naru. Uh, she's the young Comanche warrior uh, who will protect her tribe against the Predator, basically. And most people know her from two TV series, either it being Legion, which was like attached to the X-Men universe. Uh, she played Carrie Loudermilk in that. Or uh, Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico, uh, which is on CW. She plays Rosa. And in case you've seen it, she was also in the movie The Ice Road with Liam Neeson and Lawrence Fishburne, which Lawrence Fishburne is very fresh in my mind lately because, like I said, I just watched Event Horizon not too long ago, <laughs> and I love him in that. Uh, also, uh, in terms of Amber, one of her earlier roles, uh, she did a six-minute short, uh, short film called Don't. And she was the writer, she was the director, and she was the lead actress in that. Uh, so that's pretty cool. She's, you know, getting her feet wet in all different aspects of, of you know, filmmaking and whatnot. She has something like 31 credits in total. So, I mean, she's, she's building up the resume. Um, now, her brother in this, and I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, Taebe, I... I I'm not going to lie. I'm not good with the names for this movie. So you should call him her brother, uh, <laughs> which is horrible. Anyways, he was played by Dakota Beavers. Um, and as I said, he's Naru's brother. He's a skilled hunter and whatnot. He's actually born. Uh, he was born in Arizona. Um, and this is his debut role. Uh, it's his only role so far. Um the interesting thing about it is in the movie, he's playing the older brother. In real life, he's three years younger than Amber. So it's kind of funny. Even though he's the younger one, he's playing the older one in the movie. Um, but, I mean, they you really couldn't tell. I mean, it, it works very well. Let's talk about our Predator. Eh? I, I got to talk about the Predator. Basically, uh, Naru... Uh, her brother <laughs> and the Predator are our three main characters. I added a few others, but technically those are all you really need. Uh, anyways, the Predator was played by Dane DiLiegro. De um, 
and he's more of a primordial predator. He's an earlier version, um, so he doesn't have all the. He's got some of the gadgets, but like he doesn't have all the high tech that we've seen from other predators and whatnot. Um, he's also had roles in shows like The Walking Dead. He played one of the walkers. Uh, Sweet Home, he played a monster whatnot. And he's also been in American Horror Stories. Now, here's the thing. He was originally a basketball player. No shock there. Uh, four-year starter for the Division I collegiate uh, New Hampshire Wildcats basketball team. And he graduated from New Hampshire with the second all-time rebounding record. Um, so that's pretty cool. And now currently he also has a series on YouTube where he does uh, a lot of like uh, food and travel kind of stuff and whatnot. And I mentioned, you know, it was no shock that he was a basketball player. Well, he is six foot nine inches tall. So <laughs> he's a big man. Um, but yet I believe if I remember correctly, um, he's... I think he's smaller than the original Predator was, or he was tall. It's one or the other. I know there was some trivia about, like, it seems to me he's actually smaller because I think the original Predator was, like, seven foot four, I think it was, or something like that. I don't know. It was a big, big man. Um, but, yeah, so Dane was originally a basketball player. Um, moving on to now, we have a few other characters we're going to talk about now. So Michelle Thrush, she plays Aruka. Uh, she's basically uh, Naru's mother. Uh, she's a Canadian actress um, and First Nations activist, part of the Cree tribe. Uh, she's done a lot of TV work, but uh, she was in the movie Dead Man with Johnny Depp. Um, and she's had some roles in a few TV, uh, TV series like uh, Highlander, uh, Forever Night, if you guys remember that one. Uh, the Crow, Stairway to Heaven, and she was in Fargo as well. Um, moving on to Stormy Kip, who plays the character of Wasape, uh, who is um, basically he's like the Comanche hunter who like looks down on Naru a lot. He's always like picking on her and why 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 are you always uh, want to be a part of everything and stuff like that? He's that character. Anyways, uh, this is his first film. So he's our second actor who had this is his first go at it. And what a way to start. What a way to start, honestly, for both him and Dakota. Awesome way to start your career off. Um, and I know he has, uh, I can't remember the title of it. He does have a second project that is coming out either late 2022 or early 2023. I did see that as well. So he's been picked up. For more, which is great. Moving on to uh, Chief Keto, Keto, um, was played by Julian Black Antelope, and I also noticed that sometimes they would refer to him as JBA. Um, he's also had roles in shows like Penny Dreadful, uh, Dominion Creek, Blackstone, The Secret History of the Wild West, and The Flash. Um, he represents the Buckskin Black Horse family of the Weasel People. And he's a Canadian actor of First Nations, Central American, and Irish descent. So I thought that was worth mentioning. A, a lot of the actors in this were native, which is awesome. That you know, because of the whole idea that this is taking place in a you know the, the predators basically after a native tribe. This was great that they went. You know they they got the right cast for this. It was it was very well done. Uh, 
Three credits left. Mike Patterson is Big Beard. 43 acting credits, but he's probably best known for his role in Punisher Warzone when he played the motel manager. And then we have Bennett Taylor as Raphael Adolini. And he's an he plays the character of the Italian translator that was hired by the French. Um, and his character actually, there's a callback to his character because he was alluded to in Predator 2. Um, and then also his character popped up in the comic book uh, edition, uh, the, the series Predator 1718. Uh, that came out in, uh, I want to say, 95 or 96. It was around there, I know that. And he's worked on uh, CW shows like iZombie, Supernatural, and Arrow. Finally, this is the cast member I like talking about. This is the other cast member who, this is their first movie. We're talking about Coco playing Sari. Uh, Koku, uh, Koku, Koku, <laughs> Koku, Koku, uh, no, it's Coco, uh, was a rescue dog. Um, no acting training prior to the filming of Prey. Um, however, the internet has taken to nicknaming Coco as best supporting actor in this film. Uh, so see what happens when you put a dog in a movie? Uh, all, all of a sudden, it's like automatically a great movie. Most of the time, anyways. Uh, the runtime for the film is an hour and 39 minutes. It's rated R for strong, bloody violence. And some people will call it Predator 5, but for the most part, it's called Prey. And interestingly enough, it's the first Predator movie where Predator is not in the title. Um, even though the, you will get the odd person who will call it Predator 5, but it's not. It's called Prey. Synopsis for Prey. Set in the Comanche Nation 300 years ago, Prey is the story of a young woman, Naru, a fierce and highly skilled warrior. She has been raised in the shadow of some of the most legendary hunters who roam the Great Plains. So when danger threatens her camp, she sets out to protect her people. The prey she stalks and ultimately confronts turns out to be a highly evolved alien predator with a technically advanced arsenal advanced arsenal resulting in a vicious and terrifying showdown between the two adversaries and for the review section of this episode we're calling this there are those who love this movie and those who are wrong <laughs> okay so first things first and there's a few important factors to this but first things first for me it's all about the dog. Sari or, you know, Naru's dog. Companion. Like I mentioned, and I mentioned this last week as well, it, this is a great story. A rescue dog, had no previous acting experience whatsoever, was adopted specifically for the movie, and only two months before shooting. So they had very limited time to work with the dog. Um Coco, Coco's breed. Why do I want to keep saying Coco? <laughs> I don't get it. Coco, it, her breed is a Carolina dog. It's a rare breed of wild dog that um, followed first humans to cross the Bering Strait, what, 16,000 years ago or something like that. Anyways, Dan Trachtenberg, he wanted to cast a dog that would be period accurate. And Carolina dogs are direct descendants of those wild dogs of 
you know, thousands of years ago and whatnot. So that's why they went with Coco. Uh, Amber Midthunder, um, who played Naru, obviously, um, she basically said that, and, and it's, there was a headline too. I felt the head, the headline was a little harsh, but I get where they were going with it because Amber basically said it was, the dog was a little bit of a hot mess, but in a sweet way. And the article that was floating around said the dog was a, a bit of a hot mess. They took out the, but in a sweet way. And it was like, well, he, you're being unfair to the dog. Anyways, she did say that obviously, as you can see in the film, it all ended up, you know, being completely fine. The dog was great. And in the end, everybody ended up loving her. Uh, the whole cast and crew totally loved the dog. Us fans loved the dog. So, I mean, it all worked out. But it was a bit of a chance they were taking, you know, getting a dog with no acting training, no experience whatsoever. I mean, this dog might have just wanted to play the whole time, but no, it worked out great. Now, secondly, let's point out that... Um, so... Dan Trachtenberg obviously had to do the interviews and whatnot. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, um, he explains where the idea for this movie came from, and it was basically the character of Billy Soul, um, who was the Native American tracker in the original Predator, uh, played by Sonny Landham. Um, that character is where this idea sort of came from. Now, when the movie came out, Dan Trachtenberg was too young to watch the movie, but he had heard from some of his friends and older kids and whatnot that there was a scene where Billy stood on a bridge over a waterfall and fought the Predator. Now, I mean, Dan, like the rest of us, once he saw that movie, he saw that scene's not in it, obviously. I mean, the beginning of it is, but then it cuts away. So Dan, you know thinking in his mind he's like okay i gotta make creative predator movie i gotta make something that people haven't seen before wouldn't it be awesome to have a movie that focuses on that character's story and while prey isn't exactly that it is sort of spiritually because it went back with the whole idea of the native indians facing off against a predator so spiritually for sure this it, it it's definitely a focus on that kind of character but it's now looking on the Comanche tribe. And a lot of the praise for this film has come from the accuracy of the look, the representation, and the language. And that's where Jane Myers comes into play because producer Jane Myers, she gave them all these binders and books and all this information, reference materials and whatnot. She gave it to the production team and you know she advised them on... Simple things, like, for example, creating a period-accurate toothbrush. Which you, you think, okay, well, big deal. Like, it's a toothbrush. You could have gotten away with anything. But Jane really wanted to pay attention to detail. And then, uh, also, the idea... Okay, so there was, in the original script draft... And there were there were draft changes that were made because of Jane. Because in an early draft that she read... As she claimed, she was like, the Comanches are a horse culture. You can see that when Nauru's brother is, you know, he, he rides a horse a lot in this film and whatnot. And you can see the camps where they, they have the horses and whatnot. But when she saw the script, the first draft, there was nothing about horses. So this is where Jane puts all her detail into the movie and basically says, no, 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 no. This is all wrong. You can't have Comanches without horses. And so that was corrected, and here now Naru's brother is, you know, 
now he's riding horses and there's that whole, uh, there's even the whole rescue scene and whatnot with the horse and whatnot. So that was where Jane was very integral for the film because she was able to take what her knowledge of, you know, the earlier native tribes and say, Hey, you want a movie that's going to work. You got to do it like this. Um, and then you've got a, a Screen Rant had an article. Uh, Brad Curran, I believe, was the writer for it. Uh, he was talking about the Comanche characters, their clothing, the village setting, um, the hunting lifestyle that was depicted in the film, and how it's actually historically quite accurate, um, including something that you know some people were complaining about in the film but whatnot was the french settlers being hostile towards the comanche and of course you know you get those odd people online they're like yeah here they go they're showing that the white man is bad again but actually that was pretty accurate that the french did treat the native indians like shit i mean if you have been paying attention to anything in you know canadian news over the past year year and a half yeah white people weren't exactly very nice to Indian people, okay, like the native people and whatnot. So let's not act like that was not accurate. Yes, it was. Um, he uh, he also talked about um, the gender roles, and you know, again, woke. I love when people bring that word up. It's like you're not using it right. But anyways, whatever. Um, in this movie, that you know, Dan Trachtenberg and and the scriptwriters and whatnot, they made sure that. For example, that the men, they took on the physical roles. They were hunters. They were warriors. And the women were the caregivers and, you know, the the ones who watched over the children and whatnot. In that time period, within the native tribes, that's exactly how it worked. So they weren't going to change that. And they weren't going to, you know, with the exception of Nauru, which Nauru is an exception for a reason. The thing is, is that they were trying to stay as accurate as they could. And that is something that a lot of people have actually applauded the movie for because it's historically accurate. It was also dubbed both in English and Comanche. You can listen to both versions, um, on, uh, Hulu or Disney plus wherever you are. Um, and they did dub it different. It, it, they were explaining, there's a whole dubbing process with this, that they were able to film it, in a way that the, when the mouths are moving, depend it, like no matter which version you're listening to, it doesn't look like they're not speaking those words. Dan Trachtenberg was explaining the whole thing. It was a lot for me to take in. I'm like, oh, that's going to take me like 10 minutes to explain. So no offense, go find it online and read it yourself. But anyways, um, there's like a whole cool thing with that. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to put this out there now. I'm not a know-it-all for everything that comes to the, in, with this movie, there was a lot I was learning on the fly, and I was just like, I just want to talk about the movie. So, anyways, and the Comanche language, I will say, is it's a Numic language of the indigenous Udo Aztecan family. Um, I, I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, write that down. Um, yeah, like, it, it's a very accurate film. Let's put it that way. For a film that's fictional, and... I'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, so I should also mention, because I keep talking about the streaming service aspect of this, this also was the number one debut on Hulu and the most viewed premiere of any TV show on Hulu or Disney Plus ever. 
So that says something. Um, if you see that trailer, I mean, the, the trailer alone, like the full trailer, uh, that pulled everyone in. There was a lot of people going, this is intriguing. I think I like where this is going. There is a possible controversy that comes with this movie, though, and I'm hoping that nothing more comes from this, but who's to say? Uh, because when the plot and the movie poster were released, uh, there was people who pointed out that there's a 2019 fan film called Warrior Predator. Uh, filmmaker was Chris Notaries, not Notarize, something like that. Anyways, I, I can't remember his full name, I, and I know I'm babbling that up. But anyways, he did a a fan film about a 16th century native girl fighting off predators. And I guess this looked very similar to that. And when he was asked about it, he said that Disney or 20th century Fox never contacted him, nor have they compensated him. And I guess one of the glaring similarities is the face paint that his character was wearing looks very, uh, almost identical to Nehru's. Is this a coincidence? Probably not. Um, so hopefully this doesn't become something that, you know, eventually overshadows the film. Because with all that said, this is still a very likable movie. Um, I mean, and the reception for this film, for the most part, has been quite positive. Uh, which is definitely refreshing for once. I mean, think about it. What's not to like here? You've got a badass predator. A more primitive version, but still... You know, it's an early version. It's not as advanced as some of the other hunters. And, you know, but that's what helps make this story work on a lot more levels. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, the complaints online. How does a little girl take down a predatorial alien that's twice her size? And while it's not as common as the love for this movie, there have been the... I don't like this, so I'll call it woke people yeah <sighs> funny how in the late 70s early in well into the 80s you know no one had a problem with ripley or sarah connor being in a badass like you know being a badass uh being in a badass film but in 2022 naru takes on a primeval predator in a fictional story and a handful of jerks, you know, they take to the internet and they feel the need to let the world know how they were feeling butthurt about it. And I understand a lot of complaining online is like 1% of all the people. Because there's so many people that are just too busy enjoying it to, to care, to take to the internet. I get it. And I stated it last episode. I'm going to reiterate it in this episode as well. This is a movie about an uh, an alien coming to Earth and hunting and killing. It's a completely fictional story. And the thing that some people take concern with is that Nauru goes up against a six foot, nine inches tall alien and survives. Mm, okay. Do you feel better about yourself now that you have, you know, been a whining baby online? I mean, let, let, let's note also here, okay, let, let, look at this movie for a second. The guns and the high tech have been taken out of the mix, you know, and that helps level the playing field. And on top of that, it, the other thing I saw was like, people were like, oh, a bunch of armed Marines couldn't take down the, the Predator, but a little girl can. 
Um, different time frames. Um, let's see. Uh, the point of the original Predator film was to show that your grand military that is so powerful and great actually wasn't. Um, and these were big buff men with, you know, big biceps and, you know, practically woman-sized boobs and whatnot. Oh, yeah. But they couldn't take it down because they couldn't think to its level. This... This movie, one thing it does very well is it shows that Naru is a character who thinks. And she observes things and whatnot. It took the muscle out of the game. Sort of like the first movie did too. And a lot of people didn't catch that. And, I mean, let's be fair. Okay, so you're watching this movie. I could understand a lot more hate if the dog had died. Because I'll admit, it, it, I saw that trailer for the first time and I was like, the dog dies and I riot. Um, and I think more people would have rioted over that than, let's say, if Naru died. No offense, Amber. But spoilers, brother dies, okay. But if the dog had died, I'd, I probably would have lost it. Coco is the key, okay. Um or Sardi, as she's known in the movie. But um, you put a companion dog in any movie, especially one like this, and it will work. Um, I Am Legend is powerful for a reason, and it's not Will Smith. Uh, not taking away from him. He's great in the movie. But it's the dog, okay? <laughs> um, and kudos to the cast and crew for being patient with a dog like Coco, you know? like, And uh, it's just... Okay, let, uh, pass, uh, let's move past the dog. I, I keep going back to that. Let's talk about the action scenes, the bloody scenes. I mean, you know you're in for some good shit when one of the first kills uh, that the Predator makes in this movie is a snake. And I mean, he skins that CGI snake in one swift motion and then goes on to challenge a wolf and a bear... Okay, the bear was going after Nauru, and Predator just kind of took care of it. But isn't that an awesome scene when you see, like, the almost invisible Predator, like, lifting the bear up over its head? And, it, again, showing muscle versus brains, because Nauru is not going to defeat this Predator based on muscle. So she had to approach this differently, which she did. Um, and then I have to go back to just very quickly the wolf. Wolf gave the Predator a bit of a challenge, and on top of that, when the wolf died, I was like, I'm warning you, do not kill the dog. Because <laughs> watching the wolf die was hard enough as it was. Um, and I mean, yeah, I get it. We watch a Predator movie to see the Predator take on humans, definitely, or xenomor xenomorphs in the Alien vs. Predator series. But you've now added snakes and bears and wolves to the kill count, and I'm okay with this. I really am. I mean, they're all CGI, so I'm okay with it. If it had been real, different fucking story. Cannibal Holocaust. Anyways, um, and you've got... You also have to keep in mind that this primordial predator is not the best trained hunter. It's, one, it's an earlier version, so of course the wolf is going to give him a bit of a struggle, and the movie is better for it. Um, and then there's, uh, obviously, the showdown between the predator and Nauru. Um... So some people had a, a little bit of a concern about the whole orange uh, Tutsia flower that she she takes that at like as an herb 
to lower her body heat. And a lot of people were like, okay, that's kind of far-fetched. Yes. I'm not going to lie. Um, it is a bit far-fetched. Uh, it's not explained a whole lot. Some people were saying, well, how her, you know, wouldn't her immune system react to it? It's, being it's part of her tribe's, you know, the way they, you know, the way they approach life and whatnot. And it's something that they, you know, she's familiar with. I'm assuming that her body already built an immunity to it a lot sooner or like earlier previous to the film storyline. So, and again, we're talking about a fiction, fictional story. So I don't know, take the educated, you know, approach to this and chill a little. Um, because actually the whole reason that part exists is it's a callback to the original Predator when Arnie was covered in mud to mask his body heat. This is just a different way of doing it. Um, I mean, shit, some of the some of the comments I saw, it was just as bad as audiophiles, like complaining about flat sound quality on records because the song wasn't recorded in four parts on 12 vinyls to give it that fleshy feeling. It's sometimes annoying, uh, being a vinyl collector myself and... I'll I'll read a review about a, an album that came out, and I'm like, do I do I want to dip into this because it might sound bad? And then I get it, and it's like, sounds great. Where's the problem here? Like, I don't know. But that's another story for another time. Let's get back to Prey. Uh, and in terms of the final battle, I mean, it's a decent final showdown. It's it's exciting. It's fun. It's clever. You know, um, it does what it's supposed to. It shows us muscles versus brains, um, which is what the first Predator movie did. So I don't see where the problem is. Um, and, and that's the thing too. The, there's good fan service in this that's not over the top. I mean, yeah, that, okay, some people will complain about it. I personally liked it in terms of some of the dialogue, for example, or the Flintock pistol. Um, yeah, so the gun, the Flintock pistol, dated 1715 with the uh, name uh, Raphael Adelini engraved on it is the same one that was given to Lieutenant Mike Harrigan from, you know, Predator 2 when the Predator gives him the the dated gun. Yeah, that's where it, it's a callback to this. As a matter of fact, this is probably where that gun originated. So that's awesome. Um Naru's brother saying, you know, if it bleeds, we can kill it, is something Dutch said in the first movie. Then you got Naru saying, it, you know, it can't see him. Almost like when Dutch was, you know, covered in mud and said, it can't see me. Um, there's nice little nods to the films that came before, specifically Predator 1 and 2, which I'm okay with, you know. And apparently I'm not alone uh, in terms of reception. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Rotten Tomatoes actually got something right uh, because it's got a 93% approval rating currently. Um, IMDb, the movie is standing at a 7.2 out of 10 with 7 being the most common rating and 8 coming in just under that. Like, And it's literally a difference of like 2%, I think, or something like that. Rolling Stone. Uh, so they referred to the film as a long-awaited masterpiece and series highlight. I don't know that I'd go as far as to say masterpiece, but definitely a series highlight. I will say that. Um, and they did a lot of comparing uh, Amber's character of Naru to Ellen Ripley of the Alien films. 
I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> the Verge, uh, they admired how patient uh, the movie is. It takes its time. And what they felt what makes Prey really work was the simplicity of it. That it never strays from its concept, and instead it just slowly builds up tension before re- reaching the final climax. And that's actually a very good statement. The movie is simple, but effective. It's a it's a slow, not even slow. It's a quick build up to a great ending because the movie does not seem like what is an hour and thirty nine minutes, and it don't feel that long. Like you watch it, and it's like all of a sudden it's done, and you're like, that's it. But is 99 minute movie and it's it's the perfect length honestly um very little complexity making it easy to follow allowing the film to be exciting without giving us a checklist of all these different subplots to keep track of and to follow and not to mention one other person spoke up about this movie and that was jesse ventura from the original predator and he was very positive about the movie he said that amber mid thunder mid thunder sorry and the director, Dan Trachtenberg, he praised them both and basically said, you know, like, thank you for making such a thoughtful, creative and wonderful film. That's coming from the body, guys. That's coming from Jesse Ventura. Podcast Zero rating. It's not Predator. It's not Predator 2. And I will say that no one should be asking it to be anyway. Dan Trachtenberg said he wanted to make a Predator movie that would be what the fans wanted. A movie that did it right. And going by the majority? I think he's accomplished his goal. Amber Midthunder does a wonderful job portraying Noru. And Dakota, Dakota Beavers is just as great as her older brother. The Predator is great in this movie. And of course, Coco. You adorable little puppers, you. You did amazing. Those are the four characters that I walked away from going, I felt something for them. I enjoyed it. I liked what I saw. Um, The actual storyline is definitely enjoyable. Is it far-fetched? Well, yeah. But again, we were talking about a predatorial alien that comes to Earth and kills everything in sight. And I'm still asking weeks later, where's the problem? The story goes quick, easy to follow along with. It's not all these subplots. Very straightforward flick. It's an 8 out of 10. And and I'll also say I'm in agreement with so many others. Um, Instead of continuing storylines, you know, instead of adding to this chapter and whatnot, Disney, if you want to further your Predator films... You know, keep doing more and more, which I'm sure they do. I'm sure, especially after the success that they had with this one. This should have gone to theaters. It didn't, but it should have. Um, drop the Predator, put the Predator in various timelines of history, you know, put it in like 18th century London or I don't know, in the 1960s or whatever. It, something. And just show us what happens in each scenario because this worked. Next to Predator 1 and Predator 2, this is my third favorite film in the series. The other ones, whatever. And I, I'm i that weird guy. I actually enjoy Alien vs. Predator, even though they're basically, you know, a hot, complete hot mess and not in a sweet way. But um, I still love them. But this was... I've watched this movie now three times, and I loved it. 
practically more each time. So it's that kind of movie. It's very enjoyable, a lot of fun. It's an 8 out of 10, guys. For me, it's an 8 out of 10. And on that note, let's just wrap this thing up. Thanks for listening. You guys have been awesome. Um, Yeah, I, I've never done that before. I have never actually mentioned a movie one week and then the next episode been like yeah actually I want to review the whole fucking movie <laughs> um, and it, that's what happened with this like like I said I've watched it three times and it's not the last of the three times either like I, I will definitely watch it again like this it's a fun movie really fun movie and not to be taken seriously I think I don't want to always sound like I'm griping about other people's opinions and whatnot. But I just really... Sometimes I wonder, why do we approach movies so seriously? They're just meant to be entertainment. And I I don't know. I I enjoyed watching Prey, and I thought it was really well done. Um, I liked it a lot better than I did, you know, The Predator. Um, Predators was okay, but The Predator... Let's put it this way. I don't remember much about it. That's and that that's something I was actually talking. So here's a funny story for you. So I get in a cab one night, headed off to work, and I'm taking a cab to work. And of all cab drivers I get just happens to be one that's a movie fan. I'm not going to get into how the conversation started because I normally don't talk to cab drivers. I'm usually very quiet, just stay in the back seat and let them drive me to my place. And that's that. But this time, for whatever reason, conversation started. All of a sudden, it came up about movies. And the cab driver I had, she was only a year older than me, and remembers all those 80s action movies that I grew up with, she grew up with. Anyway, she's talking about First Blood, she's talking about Predator, she's talking about Terminator, and all those movies and whatnot. And we were talking about like the how back then... It's either movies were done a lot better or people were less critical because she was saying, she's like, well, I find movies today just aren't as entertaining. And I said, I think it's partially the approach. I think I think we go in with expectations of wanting movies like we grew up with in the 80s and we're not going to get those. So we're automatically disappointed instead of just walking into this going, let's see what you do. Um... And I know I've talked with other people as well. Like, you know, a lot of people like the older films because there was less attention to what we can and cannot say. People are more natural. And I I do have to agree with that. But at the same time, I think we need to remember that movies today, for the most part, if you watch the good ones, and I'm not talking about like, you know, just some of the Hollywood shit that's out there, but there's a lot of good foreign films that are doing things, uh, you know, very creatively and then you take something like this where Dan Trachtenberg walked away from it going or walked into it going I have to do this right and he made sure he he tried to do what he remembered best I, I, I'll be honest with you I think when like J.J. Abrams for example approached Star Wars I think he had the right intention he just overdid it um, because when I watch a movie like Prey there is fan service there is callbacks to those original films but it wasn't 
as in our face. It was with the odd line here or there, or it was with the, the, the pistol and whatnot. Sure, it was there. Diehard fans are going to be going, oh, yeah, I catch that. Where, you know, someone new to the, the whole series is going to go, all right, well, that was a good movie and whatnot. Um, all in all, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is like, that night in the cab talking with that person it was it was kind of a nice conversation because we were talking about the fact that you know if movies today did a little bit more of what the 80s did and that's stop worrying about like language and stuff like that like for example monster squad it's an original flick came out in the late 80s and yes it uses two words that if you put those in movies today people will slaughter you for it but that is human nature we we don't always censor ourselves especially around our closest friends and family and whatnot so those two words and the words i'm talking about are retard and fag yes they come up in the monster squad and it, nobody's offended watching the monster squad so if it happened in a movie that came out today i don't think so many people are going to be up in arms i think we have to also give give humanity a chance to be like hey i'm not that offended just because you see it on twitter that someone was offended doesn't mean the whole 7.9 billion people on the planet were offended like i don't know i'm kind of dancing around all of this but i think what i really enjoyed about this movie is i didn't feel like i was watching that something that was quote-unquote politically correct i just felt like i was watching a movie about a girl who was determined to prove everyone wrong I'm going to defend my tribe and I'm going to fight this thing. I don't care what it is. I will win. She used her brains over strength and she won. And I think it's a, it's a simple plot. It's a simple story. It doesn't feel like somebody is like preaching to us. It works. I think that's more or less where I was going with all this. I don't know. I tend to woo, off into the cosmos. <laughs> I'm like a Lovecraft story here. Uh, but no. That's that. Um, again, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for listening and whatnot. I know sometimes I go on these like little tangents and you're like, Paul, bring it back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the podcast. I, sometimes I feel like a, I don't need to do this anymore, but I will say it. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, CastBox, all the different podcast streaming sites, Podbean and whatnot. Um social media on facebook instagram twitter you can email the podcast at what looks behind podcast zero at gmail.com um check out glorious on shutter it's definitely worth it um check out prey if you haven't and if you haven't checked out prey and you're listening to this part of the episode which means you got through the whole thing shame on you because i did spoil some shit um <laughs> And finally, on that note, you need to shut the fuck up. Are you not entertained? Hey, hey, hey.